Sounds perfectly. So I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, number one fan, Miles Lambert. Hello. How you doing, mate? I'm grand. And this is uh, the morning after day one of our Carnage tour. Hashtag on, Carnage. On Miles and Steve's excellent adventure, <laughs> as, as we've called it. Um, and we just thought uh, we've got a little bit of a uh, the tasting that we did with uh, Thornbridge yesterday coming up for you to listen to, where we went through uh, five beers um, with Ben from Thornbridge. We're also joined by uh, the Owl Lady as, as well for that tasting. But we thought we'd just, um, rather than just jump straight into that, have a little bit of a chat about our, our visit to the brewery yesterday. So what, what did you think? It was a great day, wasn't it? Oh, it was incredible. Um, obviously, Thornbridge are a brewery that you, you've, all, you've always held up in high esteem, you know. So to be treated like that by them was just it was yeah. incredible. It felt really, really exclusive really special didn't it, it was yeah unbelievable and just just to be uh i suppose to make it clear to, to to the listeners that was uh the the lot that you and i mm. won as part yeah. of last year's big last, last year's yeah yeah last year's big beery night um which was uh, a private tour of, of thornbridge tutor tasting um with with one of their brewers and also a box full of beer of, that's no longer available uh, as well so we've got some some great beers to bring home with us as, as well um so yeah i mean we were what picked up at the station by yeah. by simon who's the coo uh, at thornbridge and it was simon that sorted out the, the lot for us so firstly really grateful to, to simon and to thornbridge for putting that up for auction last year so, so simon picked us up at the station we had a nice drive through the peak district because we came into Buxton, didn't we? Yeah. And, and, and went through, and and then arrived at, at the brewery, and um, bit of lunch, and then and then straight into the tasting, wasn't it? It was incredible. So we got five beers. Tried to pick slightly different styles that we do. Um, Mango Halcyon, I think everyone's quite excited about trying. Um, <laughs> was that a little four, squeal of excitement there? But yes, we'll start with Lucas. So. Um, Bavarian Helles Lager, Rob the head brewer, um, German styles are his kind of favourite thing to brew. Um, it's got a lot of complexity, but there's nothing really to hide behind. Lagers are very delicate. Um, and this one, especially for us, we want to make a, a proper Helles Lager. So we're using uh, malt that we brought over from Bamberg. Everything else is Simpsons. Um, but for this, we get malt from Germany. Um, we use a Bock yeast and we use Hallertau tradition German hops, so it's German all the way through. Um, it's fermented at 9, 10 degrees, so nice and cold. Um, it takes probably 10, 11 days to ferment and then another 4, 6, 8 weeks um, lagering after that. Um, a lot of the other beers we do, we treat and process afterwards, as in glass, stabilise them, things like that, but this we just wanted to keep it raw ingredients as we could so we don't do any additions at all um, we do centrifuge it um, obviously no pasteurizing no filtering um, and it's just really delicate it's got enough bitterness and body there to be a, a hellas um, and it's just in, in terms of the, the lagering time mm. is, is there a, a set minimum that you're aiming for um, eight weeks um, but 
you'd probably say, I'd say if we did six weeks, that'd be all right, but we yeah. aim for eight every time. Um, and we step the temperature down as well. So uh, ferment at 10, and then we'll give it a week of four, and then step it down to two a couple of weeks later, and then down to minus one a couple of weeks after that. So you're not shocking the yeast with a really fast chill from 12 down to minus one. So it's kind of that stage chilling, mm. which the yeast likes a little bit more, and also helps with the lagering. Um, but yeah, it's it stays on there four weeks lagering time, but I suppose it's kind of eight weeks beginning to end, and then we've had some in the tank that we've had for nine weeks, we've had some at five weeks, and we've started to notice that they do taste differently. So I think the last batch we did, Rob's kind of decided to try and extend the lagering time even further. Um, Sam won't like it. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so for us, it was, we're still um, trying new things with it in terms of lagering time, getting the freshest tradition hops we can, trying them all. How does that compare to like the traditional styles from, from Germany? Is, is it about the same sort of time that they lager for as well? Um, yeah, I think it varies from brewery to brewery, but generally, yeah, four to eight weeks would be what they'd go for. Some even longer, some shorter. It depends on depends on the brewery very much. Mm. Um, a lot of people, I know, there's been some studies out and things that say that lagering doesn't actually do anything. Um, Rob's keen to bring that one up when he would talk about it. He says, oh, I've got this paper that says two weeks. You can't tell any taste difference between two weeks and ten weeks. And he goes, bollocks. And he's showing around the hells and then giving me one another one for two weeks. You can tell the difference. I'm enjoying this. That's lovely. Yeah. Very nice. Imagine a uh, cold pint of that yeah. on a oh, really hot day. Can't really crisp cutting through it. Yeah. It's soft as well, you know. It's, it's cool. Quite a lot of the beers we can... Um, We'll, we'll dry hop them a lot and then we can leave them for a while and then process them whereas Lucas is a daily little task of taking the bottom off because the bottom of the jackets aren't properly cooled so you always get a little bit of um, beer and yeast at the bottom of the tank that's actually warmer than you want it so he's taking that off every single day making sure that that warm bit doesn't start giving off off flavours things like that um, so it is a very labour intensive beer um, more so than the others which are very labour intensive mm -hmm. <laughs> so You've got it lagering for eight weeks. Is that taking up other space of, yeah. of, of, of other beers? Yeah, so yeah certainly. Well, that cask must have quite an seven days. on yeah. the, the throughput of beers that you can produce while you're producing this as well. Definitely, yeah. Look, we've got the tank capacity at the minute that we can store probably three double tanks worth of Lucas at any one time. Um, but, yeah, if we were doing cask beer, we could have done eight brews in the same amount of time we do one brew of Lucas mm. so it's yeah I think if you're short on tank space it, it could be a big problem but we're, we're alright for that no it's like anything making cask beer is easy making good cask beer is difficult it's you know making lagers easy making good lagers more difficult yes yeah, so this is raindrops and roses um, so every year we do a homebrew competition uh, with Waitrose Brew UK I think um and loads of people send their homebrew beers into us, sit down, try them all, pick the one they like the most, and then get them down to brew it here on the 50 Hect Brew Kit, bottle it, and sell it in Waitrose from. So this year was Phil Sisson, I think that's how you say it. Um, so it's a Belgian bit with coriander, chamomile, and rose petal. Um, it's probably one of my favourite beers we do. Minute. Um, it's just 
so nice to drink. It's so soft and there's so many different flavours in it as well. Um, the bit yeast um, comes through a lot. So this one, that when we're processing it, usually we take out all the yeast from the packaging um, because we don't pasteurise or sterile filter if there's any residual sugars left in the beer. The yeast in there would bottle condition and carbonate it up more than we want. So we usually try and take out all the yeast. Whereas this one, the, the bit yeast is so important in the character of the beer um, that we centrifuged half of it and then transferred the rest on top just to lower the yeast count down to an acceptable level so that you don't get floaters in it or anything like that. But you still there's still plenty of yeast in there giving you that mouthfeel. A lot of people taste different different things. So you get a load of that chamomile at the end, don't you? So I think it smells quite rosy and then there's lots of chamomile at the end. But chamomile has been described as like sucking a sponge. I don't like um, chamomile tea because it tastes like freshly mown grass, not like that on a regular basis, <laughs> but this is, <laughs> that's delicious. Yeah. So it's a really nice balance between coriander there, chamomile, the rose petal, and you can kind of pick all of them out. Um, and then the, the bit yeast in there as well gives it such a really nice mouthfeel. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, it's not a fan of the rose or the chamomile or just the whole... Uh, just everything that's in Everything there, about yeah. it. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of whip beers anyway, uh -huh. so it's, a, it's, it's not didn't get off on a good start <laughs> really. Um, but then yeah, all the other uh, bits in it's just uh, takes it a bit too far away mm. from beer for me. I like that because it's it's it kind of takes them on a journey. Uh, yeah, Kipling. So five two um, pale ale with Nelson Sovan. Um, probably one of the earlier beers we did and I think out of these five it's the only one you can get on cask as well as bottle and keg um, so there's only a couple of our beers that do kind of broach the cask bottle and keg all together um, there's certain styles that we don't want to do on cask and certain styles we don't want to do on bottle and keg whereas Kipling I think is great in both um, it's that's more like So one of the great things about that is when Nelson Sovan as a hop is really good, Kipling tastes fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you get a crop beer when Nelson Sovan isn't so good, then unfortunately the whole beer yeah. is just not quite as good as it yeah. was. So it's the, one of the ones that in a pub I'll regularly get a guy at the bar and thinking, well, what have you done to that Kipling? Not a shade on the beer it was two years ago. I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. But <laughs> You're so reliant on that, on that yeah. hop in this beer. Yeah, but it's, single, it's the risk you got with single hop beers. Mm -hmm. um, and do you not know that until it's at the finished product stage that the hop's yeah. not been so good? No. Um, a lot of the times, I think last year, we, had, we started adding about 50% more Nelson to get a similar character mm -hmm. as we did from the year before. Um, and yeah, it's when you taste it and go, oh, that's different to what I remember and then looking at the hops we smell them all and check them all before every brew uh, but some years they're just not as good and uh, we had a bit of crossover in crop years we've saved a bit so we can try and blend kind of old crop new crop together um, but then you'll inevitably find that the new crop is just way nicer so you'd much prefer to do is just use a hundred percent new crop and make a much better one um, whereas a lot of the other beers if one hop comes in it's not so good you can tweak the hop bill to get the same overall beer but using 
slightly different combos, whereas something like this, it's not really got anywhere to hide. It's also one of the ones we actually have to restrict brewing of, because quite a lot of other beers have Nelson in it, mm -hmm. and if we brew lots and lots of Kipling, it basically drains our entire supply of Nelson, because we don't get that much of it um, from New Zealand, they don't make that much, mm. we don't contract that much, so things like... No, no, still Farums. Yeah, I think they've got the lock on on Nelson Sovan in the UK. Yeah. Like simply we've got Galaxy, yeah. so everyone's trying to get their own hop that they control distribution on. But it's just nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's delicious. Mm. It's doing it, isn't it? It's yeah. So is it a, a year's date on your bottle? Yeah. We. So every, every bottle when we do, we'll take some bottles back and we'll take them up in the lab upstairs, which we'll have time I'll show you later on. Um, we'll do tastings after we've been in an incubator at 30 degrees for a week. And then we also put them on a shelf for three months and six months, and then take them off, put them in the fridge and try them and fill it out with paperwork. So essentially we're, we're testing that shelf life. Um, we send them away to people to do kind of um, forced taste analysis on them a lot of beers on bright on packaging will be bright mm -hmm. and then further down the line can kind of develop a haze yeah. mm -hmm. um, so we're doing tests on that to try and live up to that year best before date I don't think anyone would claim that the beer is as good a year after mm. it's packaged mm -hmm. it's just the fact of a, a beer that's not it's, it's only centrifuge it's still there's still a lot in there when we package it and it's only going one way after packaging date just trying to extend and it as long as possible. And you've got no control over how it's looked after once how it reaches it's the premises. Is, how it's stored, whether it's in someone's window mm -hmm. in sunlight yeah. or, you know, yeah. The other two tickets so low it's more likely. Yeah, that helps massively. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's probably the main factor for us is, is that we know we've got a year on it and oxygen is the main thing mm -hmm. that's going to make it not as good as it was. Um, so that's just get it as low as possible um, a lot of um, a lot of people do it's like slight bottle conditioning scavenge a bit of oxygen so that works as well um, but I think we're happy that we can get them low enough that we don't need to do that we don't want the downside so some of that is if you don't have a homogenous product in tank you'll get some bottles with more yeast than others mm -hmm. and then when that yeast in that bottle dies after six nine months or being in the window and you get autolysis and then the yeast starts throwing up off flavors so you've started by trying to put it in there to reduce your oxygen but then you end up giving off different off flavors yeah it has its own problems as well yeah it all does it's just a big compromise the whole thing from beginning to end is compromising on one thing or the other yeah so kipling uh, is 100 percent pale malt so you want that really straw colour, we want the Nelson to come through. AMPMs, more kind of a, a balance between more malt and hops. So there's uh, wheat malt, Munich malt, crystal malt in this to give a bit of a malty backbone. But then there's also Nelson, Citra, Amarillo, really big punchy hops in there to balance it. Um, for this one especially, getting the, the balance between sweetness, bitterness, malt flavour, hop flavour, is uh, one of the difficulties of making this because obviously a beer with just pale malt and loads of hops, tastes loads of hops, brilliant. You start to bring malt in there. If you take any of those 
things too far, sweetness, bitterness, hop flavor, then it just tastes wrong. People, you can tell straight away when you drink it that it's just something off. It's just cloringly bitter or, or, or sweet or anything like that. So a beer like this, it's trying to get that, for us, the perfect balance of all four of them. So it's just drinkable and nice and you can pick out all the bits. So what's the, um, with, with a session IPA for you, what's what's the goal? Is it essentially to get the same feel and bitterness as, as one of the bigger IPAs, but just at a lower ABV, or is it just a generally all-round easier drinker? I, I personally hate the phrase session IPA. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's like, oh, it's how many of these can I drink before using that bucket? <laughs> that's, what, that's what a session means. Yeah. You know, like, so I don't really like that. Term. I think it was originally an all-day IPA until Sulfamba says no, you oh, can't really? have an all-day IPA. Yeah. Nice way, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean they didn't take to Twitter and try and do yeah. it in public? Oh, okay. Photographs of the letters oh. and things. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of emails we said, yeah. got this many labels left over, that's fine, use them as a yeah, all, all both um, yeah, grown so up, aren't they? Yeah, wow. It's nice when brewers can do it. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So it's, yeah, low ABV, but hopefully it's it's kind of weird to say, oh, yeah, I wanted to do a low ABV one, but with more flavour. And the obvious thing is, well, why don't they all just have more flavour? Like, why isn't everything an IPA? And that's well, well, certain pale ales have got things about them, whereas an IPA probably get a bit more assertive bitterness and more hop character. So hopefully in this, whilst we're balancing them all, we want the predominant of them to be hops. So mm -hmm. we want hop forward, pale ale, IPA. Um, but at 4.5%, you'll generally find... One of the reasons people make hoppier beers stronger is that in the balance between sweetness and bitterness, alcohol is sweet. So if you've got a seven and a half, eight percent beer, if the bitterness is low, it'll just taste sweet because alcohol's sweet. So you can put more and more hops in, which traditionally would mean you're getting more aroma, more hop flavour. But if you didn't have the high ABV, it would then be too bitter. So you can get more things in by having them stronger. So one of this is having it at a lower ABV means you've got to be careful with your bitterness because you take it too far, put too many hops in, then suddenly it's unbalanced again. So I think the fact that it's a four and a half IPA is that you've not got as much alcohol sweetness and residual sugar and things there to balance it all off. Um, but it's, it's got a bit of Munich malt, wheat and crystal colour. It's a, yeah, just a nice colour. Mm. Yes, we're, we're aiming for balance and drinkability. Mm -hmm. Other times you can aim for outrageous beers that really, the kind of talking points and points that you try that beer, one thing, and yeah, it's outrageously hot for chilies, or it's outrageously bitter, or it's outrageous. Yeah. Those ones, if, you, if that's what you're designed to make and that's what comes out the other end of the brewery, then that's brilliant. Um, for this one, we're not trying to be outrageous and unbalanced. It's meant to be beer just enjoy drinking taste nice I, I totally agree on the point about session IPAs I think it's yeah. a, it is a daft phrase it's almost like a challenge mm -hmm. it's not necessary at all yeah, I don't I mean I think if you if you put IPA I don't know whether people previously thought oh an IPA that's strong I think everyone's intelligent enough to look at an ABV and go I know it's four and a half yeah, people understand what an ABV means so generally 
But, but actually, I mean, four and a half percent. If you go back fifteen years, that would that would seem like high. It's strong, and and it is still considered strong by a lot of mm -hmm. drink, drinkers mm -hmm. as well. I've got a friend that owns a pub, and he would, he would say if he puts anything on above five percent, they won't drink it. Yeah, because they they consider it to be too strong. I've I've heard that yeah. as well. Yeah, and that's the question. Then everything goes. Yeah. I went to a Timmy Taylor's event about two weeks ago and they refer to landlord as the strong one. Really? 4.3. Wow. And then they were saying another one, oh yeah, the new one's like 4.2 or something. And they were like, oh, a lot of people went after it was 4.2. Too strong for them. Like, what? Yeah. Do you have a session on? No. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd call it a, a daytime beer. Yeah. So Yeah, they're just they're just kind of more sensible ideas, really, yeah. aren't they? That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. It's if you want, if you're after that sort of IPA hit, then but you've got something on a lower ABV, so you can maybe drink for just a little bit longer, rather than in your session. In your session, rather than rather than hitting the seven point fours at the beginning. Yeah. So uh, mango alcyn. This scares me. <laughs> so Why? Not the ABV. I mean the mango. I'm, I'm a bit funny about fruity beers, but I might like them. So from uh, trying before, I get a lot of mango aroma, and then but it still tastes of like halcyon to me. Um, it is essentially all the same hopping as halcyon. Um, so we brewed it as halcyon, but we just fermented it with mont yeast instead of kalel, because um, we know when we're putting this fruit in, it's going to throw a haze, and we didn't want three, four months down the line to try and get a bright beer, which would then drop out and we've just got mango sludge in the bottom of it and it's been messy. So we decided, right, we'll try and go for not bright at all. Keep as much of that mango in there as possible um, and aim for that. So again, we've centrifuged a little bit of it. So we've basically centrifuged the tank bottoms. So which pretty much broke the centrifuge because it was just thick hop and mango yeah. coming out. The drain was just bright orange. Um, but once you've taken that out and then you're down to essentially the, the good beer above it in the tank, we just transferred that on top of the centrifuge stuff to try and keep as much in there as possible. And again, this hasn't been stabilised or fined or anything like that. There's no, been no processing done to it, so it's pretty much the raw product you would get. It's, um, it's certainly got the bitterness <laughs> in, in there. Um, the juice isn't overpowering, or the, or the fruit flavour isn't overpowering. It's very, very subtle within it. It's just something that's not connecting for, for me. I don't know. I don't know what it is, though. So it was, it was actually brewed with very low bitterness, because a lot of the fruit beers of these kind of in the past, the bitterness completely overpowers it. You wouldn't generally have bitter fruit. Fruit is generally quite sweet. Yeah. So it was actually had no bittering hop in it whatsoever. Um, and then on the analysis we do, it's coming out at 25 BUs. Um, obviously it tastes like about 60. Mm -hmm. um, so the mango, I don't know what it is about the mango, but the mango has added a bitterness in there as well. Um, so it has, I think if we had put bittering hop in there, it would have been outrageously bitter and totally ruined it. Um, but for me, it's 
I know Rob and everyone else in Rice, we didn't want to make a beer that was just mango juice. No. Because we could make a beer that's just mango juice, but then I might as well drink mango juice. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Because yeah. We, we want we want beer, we want halcyon with yeah. a mango twang to it. And yeah. I think that's I, I think it's it's very pronounced mangoes, un, unmistakably mangoes. I think also a lot of fruits have apart from tasting of that fruit they have a lot of other things so like blueberries or kiwi fruits or something like that a lot of fruits have distinct either bitterness or sweetness or sourness as well um, so I think mango is one of those ones that should be sweeter I think we probably discovered that it's actually more bitter than we would actually think mm-hmm. when we're putting that much in um, but you probably think looking forwards if you could then balance that mango with something like pineapple or something like that and make a tropical halcyon or something like that with a few different fruits you almost restrict yourself by saying mango halcyon because then you're going well I'm looking for mango and I know what mangoes <laughs> taste like because I had a bottle of mangoes yeah. with my lunch yesterday and that's mangoes if um, you just describe it as fruit halcyon well is it Sierra Nevada have got tropical torpedo yeah. Yeah. Um, which gives you I think a bit of breathing room in terms of recipe mm-hmm. and design to get something that you like without being to mangoes but I love that I had a bottle of it the other day and it disappeared very quickly and then the second one disappeared very quickly <laughs> as well I'm going to ask a really stupid question uh, but I don't know the answer when if you're adding heat to beer so mangoes are quite dense thick aren't they they're heavy so if you were playing around with other fruits for example like you said blueberries light and fluffy and bouncy um, or juicy oranges or something like that does that does the sort of texture and the structure of the fruit affect the way you brew it uh yeah it will depend at what point you add the fruit to the beer so you can add it in multiple stages you can add it during the boil you can add it at the end of boil you can add it uh during fermentation you can add it after fermentation you can add it at cold stage so different fruits people probably think more people are experienced with brewing is adding coffee so if you make a coffee porter and you want to add actual coffee, you can add cold coffee or you can add it hot sides. And it's the same with fruits. You choose where to add it depending on the fruit you're using. So when we've done um, ones with orange peel, we'll put them in hot side after the boil and you pick up loads of orange flavour. The mangoes we added cold side, but then because um, we added them cold side and most of the fermentation we've done we had to crowds in the beer with more yeast to ferment out the mango the sugars that we added when putting the mangoes in so after that first fermentation we then got another fermentation to try and use the mango sugars up so yeah the, the, the type of fruit you put in would dictate where you put it in and, and how you use it so you could, it could be a scenario where you do one with orange mangoes and something and you add them all at different stages um, the problem with that being if you don't put enough in of one of the earlier stages you can't go back and yeah. add more so you can find different ways to get them in you can add orange later on if you want but I think orange peel obviously is very bitter um, pith and things like that so you want to put them in at a stage that will minimise the bits you don't want from the fruit or maximise the bits you do um, yeah, so I think it depends on the fruit we, we don't really put loads of fruit in beers <laughs> we do the, the strawberry blonde which we add um, strawberries to the tank cold side the same as this um, but in terms of putting loads of fruits it's probably only last 
year, two years, when people have just started seriously just putting loads of fruit in mm -hmm. to make the beer taste like fruit. In the past, you added hops that tasted a little bit like that fruit, and you yeah. picked up that way. Now it's like, oh, I want the beer to taste of um, gooseberries. But instead of putting Nelson Sauvignon in, you just put gooseberries in. Because like, it's, it's a different type of beer using fruit to get a flavour instead of using hops to get a flavour. I personally prefer using hops yeah. Yeah. to is, get a flavour. Is that because that's the way that the market's gone or is some of that was some of that driven by this the hop shortage that we heard it's so much about? I, I, I know, I, you know, everybody talks about it. But it's been it, a hop shortage for the last <laughs> eight years. There's always going to be, oh, there'll be no hops next year. Like yeah. contract now for this this inflated price because there won't be any next year what, and you'll lose out. Was that just a brilliant sales pitch? <laughs> well, I think it, I say there's no hop shortage for for us. There's no hop shortage because we're contracted three years in advance. I think if you're trying to buy certain hops on the spot market tomorrow, you'll struggle because so many people have got them contracted up. But that's that's not to say there aren't other hops available that you can use. Um, and also, there's there's lots of different places to get hops from. But I think moving to these, I, I don't know why people now more inclined to want to drink beer with mango juice mm. in it than they are to have one that just tastes of mangoes that's got hops in. I'd, I'd prefer the latter. Yeah. Just, you know, brew it using the hops that are going to get the, the flavours rather than adding stuff to it to, to, to give it those flavours. It, it cycles though, isn't it? You know, yeah. it, it will go back that way. I hope so. Yeah. Quickly. Not making <laughs> a thousand BU beers anymore, are they? It's yeah. like the bitterness rush when everyone was like, oh, the most bitters. Now it's like the Grand Polita hop rush, mm -hmm. like how much hops can you get in? Mm -hmm. Like it just, it, it'll just ebb and flow, and there'll be different styles. Um, and the the fruit IPA, I guess it's one that for people that haven't drunk pints of mild or anything like that, then a fruit IPA is very accessible because there's a lot of flavors in there that you're already used to, yeah. and you've got that mango already there that you're familiar with and then you mm -hmm. explore in the other part of the beer you get rid of that and people are then going straight into more traditional beers there's a, there's a time and a place for all of them some yeah. people yeah. don't want to drink a pint of mild yeah. the belgian version yeah a couple of years ago yeah. Yeah. Was, was that popular as, as, as well <laughs> not as popular as this <laughs> not as popular right that was we had belgian yeast and, and we think we did a 300 batch in the yeast broth we had it sat in place that's really nice and then did a big one um, I think it was like I think it sold out instantly. I think it took a while to get yeah. through. Yeah. Um, but then Belgian beers, like we found, we did a beer de garde, and we've done lots of <coughs> other European styles of beers, and they just don't seem to sell that well, or they didn't last year or the year before. I think it's probably a lot easier to sell mango halcyon than it is to it's sell a beer de garde. It's the accessibility, isn't it? You know, people yeah. say, oh yeah, I like mango juice, so I'll buy that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, they can relate to it. But the beer de garde was amazing. Uh -huh. It was a phenomenal beer, but it was like, sat around for a while. It's why is it leaking off the shelves, isn't why it? Why is it having that book? Yeah. Yeah. When they yeah. 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 Well, a lot of people go, I don't know what beer de garde is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nine other keg lines, three of which they know they like, and yeah. three of others they might experiment, and then there's a beer de garde on the end, and it's like, a two second decision mm. no yep. no 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 yes maybe that one I'll try them too I'll have this one yeah. you know so and it's 7.4 as well if you're not quite sure of the style mm -hmm. it's, it's not the easiest selling is it mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank yeah. you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Incredible. Thank you. All right. I'll probably see you over there in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I have to remember what all the valves do. So then, after the tasting, um, what, what did we do next? We got back in the car, didn't we? We did. We headed up to Thornbridge Hall. Yeah. Which is another beautiful just, place. Just amazing, though. And this is like, um, so this is the guy that owns Thornbridge. It's his private residence. As, as well they do hire it out for, for, for weddings and, and things but it's not generally open to the public um, and we got to go up there and have a look at the original Thornbridge Brewery yep. as, as well which was quite a stark contrast to, to the Riverside Brewery don't, don't you think? Very much so um, it was at that point that the sun came out wasn't it? Yes so it was... yeah, so beautiful grounds got, got to have a walk around the um, grounds in Thornbridge Hall, got to meet Flora, yep. the um, statue that, that appears on all of the, the Thornbridge beers, she's just not this random thing that they, <laughs> that they put on their bottles, there, there is an actual reason to, to her being there, um, and then came back down to, to the brewery and um, we got to have a little bit of a, of a look around the brewery as well, didn't yeah. we, yeah. which is massive, size, isn't it? The, unbelievable amount of beer being produced in that, in yeah. that place. And and we've still room to for expansion as yeah. well if they if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon was saying and you know just talking us through how they've just installed a new bottling line that's more efficient that allows them to do more more beer and obviously they've left provision for everything to expand uh, as well. So every piece of equipment they've got, there's space to add yeah. something else to it yeah. to make it more efficient. Always thinking ahead. Yeah. And I mean that—that's just you know to to have got to have a look, have had a look around, and I think we were quite lucky as well because we were we were in there at the same time as a public tour, <laughs> and they didn't get to go to the places that we got they to. They had yellow jackets, we had red jackets. Yeah, to that make the distinction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, that was that was part of of what what we bid for was this yeah. kind of exclusive li- little tour that that we got, and um, so yeah, look around and then. As as all these things do, we we ended up in the in, in the bar at, at Thornbridge drinking incredibly good quality pint, pint of cask Jaipur, which Simon poured himself. He, he did pour himself, <laughs> and he did a great job of it as well. But it tasted it tasted just banging. Yeah. It was just like I I can't remember tasting Jaipur that good. Um, I I don't know whether some of that is you know that whole do you get wrapped up in a moment and does that moment have an effect on what you're tasting and, and the way beer feels at the time? But it was just a great experience yeah. that, that, that we had. I mean, it was a proper Thornbridge experience that, that, that we got yesterday. Yeah. And I think I come away with a real fondness for that brewery now, you know, after getting an experience like that. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. They really know how, how to, to look after mm. people. And, and like I say, I mean, we've come away with some pretty special beers as well yeah. that uh, a few of which are no longer in production so um, they'll be going into the to the cellar for maybe another couple of years yeah. just to just to relax and settle down a little bit but um, so yeah any other real standouts for, for you um, just the, the whole the whole thing was was a standout it's difficult to pick out any particular part of it isn't it, it is, yeah. Um, yeah so so special like I say the whole experience so. And um, I suppose just to again just thank Simon for first of all for putting up the uh, the, the lot for the auction on on Big Beery Night last year. Um, but thanks also to he basically took the entire afternoon 
to to spend with us and to show us around and to show us the things that you don't get to see on the public tour. So really, really grateful to Simon, really, really grateful to, to Fawn Bridge for the experience. Yeah.